Well, if you're new here this morning, welcome. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, Pastor Ruben over here will be teaching in our Spanish service in the next service. Um, good morning. Welcome to Hope Church. This, this is uh, a place where we have two languages. We've got two pastors, um, but we have one family here and one hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, that God has been growing together and knitting together, even though we have a language barrier that doesn't change the fact that we serve one Lord together. We have started into a new series, and this is our second week into a new series going through the book of Philippians. It's a letter that Paul wrote uh, while he was in prison in Rome uh, to the church that was in Philippi. And uh, our theme going through this will be uh, I will rejoice. That is the theme. We see that throughout the book of, or the letter of uh, Philippians. And that's the title of our sermon this morning, I will rejoice. Um, and it, we will be returning to this topic as we go through the book, but this morning we really want to look at um, what Paul uh, means when he says, I will rejoice, and, and what that's about. So if you turn with me, in uh, chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, we're going to be starting in verse 12 this morning. Let's read. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, boy, we need you to give us insight to your word. God, I pray that the words that I speak this morning, God, that they would carry the truth of your word. God, you are truth. You have defined what truth is. God, we need your spirit to help us understand that. So I pray that you open our eyes this morning and what it is to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this idea of rejoicing, Paul says, in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. This isn't what we encounter in the world around us that is this idea of positive thinking. That's not what this is. And I want to make sure that we get that, that, that this is different than, than, what we, than what we see as a valuable thing to have a positive outlook on life and, and to think positively. But, but what that becomes in the world around us is this idea that, that somehow I'm going to um, I'm gonna cause good things to happen by just thinking about what's good. I'm, I'm going to Put aside, I'm, I'm not going to let myself think about negative things. I'm not going to let myself uh, just entertain negativity at all. I'm only going to think about the positive, and somehow that, 
That is going to be what carries me through what is in reality a broken world and a broken experience. And that's not what this is. When Paul is saying, I'll rejoice, it's not him saying, okay, I'm going to only think positive, happy thoughts. No, see, what we have in Christ, what we have in the Lord is based in truth. Where we've come from is based in a world where we, we try to just cover up what truth is. We, we, try, to, we try to hide pain. We try to uh, not go into places where we have fear, and, and, and we try to, to push that aside, and we try to just narrow in on, on what, what is good, and, and that is effective to some extent in our life, but that's not the fullness of what we have in the Lord. What we have in the Lord sees the full truth. It's rooted in truth. It encounters fear with love and truth. And so when Paul is here saying, I rejoice, it's not that happy thoughts of, of the world. It's not trying to cause something by, by him saying, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna only think good thoughts and, and only rejoice. No, there is something real that Paul is rejoicing in. There's substance to it. It's based in truth, and it's in the context of a fullness of seeing and accepting what is true that he is then able to say, I rejoice, I will rejoice. So as we go through here, uh, in this first verse, in verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What happened to Paul? What is he talking about? What, uh, I want you to know what, what has happened to me. Well, if you go back, uh, Paul had finished his last missionary journey, he'd come back with this report of how amazing it was that God was moving and, and and God had used him to reach the Gentiles with the gospel. And, and just all these stories he related to, the, to them. And, and they were rejoicing and excited about that. And then this next phase of Paul's life began where he was going to go up to Jerusalem. And, and start facing people who wanted to kill him, to take his life. And, and you had cases where they were conspiring to kill him. That, that he would be moved from one place to another. And they would ambush him and kill him. But, but God protected him, but he found himself in Caesarea in prison for two years there. And, and in that time, uh, I think it was Felix that, that was ruling there, and, and uh, he, you had Felix wanting to get money out of him somehow and holding him there for two years, and then Felix was replaced. And the next person that came in tried him again. And, see, and, and God had a purpose in that, that, that Paul was speaking before authorities, uh, but he was, this was vastly different than when Paul was, was taking the gospel out. He was now in prison. But God had told him, even before that two years, that he would be going, um, he'd be going to Rome. He'd be going uh, to be imprisoned by the Gentiles. And, and, um, and, and God protected him with that purpose. God had a purpose in it. At the end of that two years, sure enough, um, Paul was, he, he uh, applied to, they, they were wanting to send him back up, I think, to Jerusalem, uh, and he, and he uh, said, no, I appeal to Caesar. 
And by doing that, then they sent him to Rome. And, and that whole journey was, was just this incredible journey on a ship where they were shipwrecked uh, part way. And, and it's just to read through that in the book of Acts is incredible of how God was there protecting Paul. And, and it was for a purpose that he would arrive in Rome, that God had a purpose in that. Um, but that, that, that was the condition. So now Paul is there in Rome in prison. Oh man, God, God was taking care of him there too. Uh, he ended up being in, in kind of his own house. He still had Roman guard, and we know from Ephesians he was still in chains, um, but he was able to have visitors. There he is uh, in Rome. So he says, my conditions here have really served to promote the gospel. I want us to go through some questions this morning to kind of hopefully put us in the same mindset that Paul was. As he's there saying, I rejoice. He, he didn't diminish the fact that he had gone through everything he did to, to in imprisonment and then um, there is the fear of death, but they also had the promise of God, of God taking care of him, and that, that ship ride and the shipwreck, and finally arriving in Rome and now being imprisoned in Rome. What are the conditions that God has put us in? The first question I have for us this morning, what are my circumstances? It's certainly not having been imprisoned uh, in Caesarea and gone through, that, that's, that's not my conditions, but what, what, are, what are my circumstances? And have you given yourself a chance uh, anytime recently to really just sit back and consider what are the circumstances of my life? Usually when we're telling somebody, someone about our life and where we're at, it's, it's through all sorts of filters. It's, it's what we wanna show, either we wanna show that we're doing really well uh, or we want to show that, boy, something was really hard. Uh, but, but when we really take a look at our life and the circumstances that we're in, what are the circumstances of your life? What season of life are you in? Just take stock of that. What are the things? Is, is there health issues? Are there job issues? What things do we run into? You know, when we consider the circumstances of our life, one of the things we don't wanna bring up is that a lot of where we're at now has to do with our past of sin and failure. I don't usually want to, to bring that up. I don't, I don't usually wanna think of that part, but that's part of how I got to be where I'm at right now. Is those failures, is that sin? Maybe later, or maybe you can think of now, what, what, if you were to write down three things that just really stand out to you that describe the current circumstances of your life, what would those be? And in truth, so I've got that in the notes, that all of this is in truth. Circumstances not through a filter, not, not palatable for someone else. And, and if you have someone in your life that you can actually sit down and talk through the raw circumstances of your life and just speak it out loud, well, that's good. 
If you need, I can be that for you if you need that. There's other pastors here that can be that. If you need to just talk through and just express what are the circumstances of my life, we need to know that in truth and know that there's rejoicing at the end of the, at the, end of the sermon. But we need to do this in truth. So first, what are the circumstances of my life? Second question, how am I taking it? I purposefully didn't say, how, how am I doing? Because that's a question that we always answer, good or bad. I'm doing good, I'm doing bad. Um, I, I don't even want you to think in terms of uh, how am I taking it, good or bad, but just how am I actually taking it? The circumstances of my life. How was Paul taking it? You know, Paul, Paul was pretty transparent about himself, about uh, about his heart, about his emotion, about, about the things that were going through his mind. See, we saw in the beginning of Philippians how he yearned to be with them. Can you imagine what he's gone through? And he poured his life into the people that are in Philippi, in, in Ephesus, and Thessalonica, and these different places. And now he's separated from all of that. And so... And so you, you get this longing that he speaks of, I, I, how I long to be with you all. And you also get what's coming up that, that we'll cover next week is just, you know, he's got this confidence from the Spirit of God that he is going to see them again. And, and so that, that's part of how he's taking it. He's, there, there is confidence there, but then he's also got this concern that, that in his body that he would glorify God. And he doesn't want to be ashamed. He, he, wants his, he wants his person to glorify God. And, 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 and there's this real desire that he has to just be free of this body and be with the Lord because that would be so much better. And he expresses that. But he says there's an even greater thing. It's to be, with, to be present now for their progress and joy in the faith. He's just expressing his heart. This, this, is, this is raw Paul in the midst of the circumstances that he's in. And, and you get later on that he's, he's, he's anxious about uh, Epaphroditus, that Epaphroditus came out. They sent him from Philippi, Epaphroditus, to encourage him and to be with him and to bring gifts to him. And so Epaphroditus has been there, and Paul's loving that Epaphroditus is there. And you can kind of even see between the lines there that you know, there's, there's loneliness there. It's not every church that's sending someone out to Paul. He, he has been in all these places investing in the church and the progress of the gospel, and now there he is alone in Rome, and there isn't every church sending people to him, but, but Philippi did, and his great appreciation for that. But then Epaphroditus gets really sick, almost to death, and then, and then he gets better, and they, he knows that the Philippians were concerned about him. And, and he knows now that Epaphroditus really longs to be back with, with the church in Philippi. And so, so he wants to send Epaphroditus back, but he wants to make sure that they know, I do appreciate that you sent him, but, but I want him to be with you. That's how Paul is taking it, his circumstance. We need to be willing to just recognize, okay, this is how I'm taking it. There might be good things, there might be bad what are the things that go through our minds at night when we're trying to go to sleep? What are the things that carry our attention? What's the hardest part of life right now? Not thinking, is this good, is this bad? 
but just to, in truth, understand where I'm at. And if, if something's just difficult and you say, God, I think I'm supposed to respond this way, but boy, I am here, then, then, then walk in truth. Say, that's where I'm at. God, this is where I'm at. We have to come from a place of truth. In uh, three years ago, actually, um, August 19th, three years ago, um, I deployed with Austin Disaster Relief Network out to Denham Springs, Louisiana, uh, had, had a terrible flood, and, and the town of Denham Springs, as a small town, uh, just about the whole town was affected by the flood. Um, and so we sent, normally ADRN is focused on Austin area, but we had relationship with folks in Denham Springs, and so we sent a crew out there. And that was, for me, uh, impactful, even in my life, uh, for a week there in Denham Springs, going day after day, we, we would just cover streets of Denham Springs, going house to house, meeting people in the midst of the disaster as they're trying to muck out their houses or... Um, there's all sorts of different things that they were doing. Some of them weren't. They were just uh, in the midst of it, not knowing what to do. But we, uh, towards the end of that, um, one, of the, one of the families I met with, he was a pastor there in Denham Springs. And I was, as I was talking to him, I, I could, you know, he related his, his circumstance, you know, he was, he was part of those that were above what was known to be the flood level. They were fine. So early that morning, a whole bunch of Denham Springs had been flooded, and they thought they're fine, you know, they're above the flood level. And then later, I think 10 o'clock in the morning, water started coming out of the gutters, and it started rising in the street. And most of them didn't recognize it for what it was until it was too late, and they couldn't get their cars out of the driveway. And so I could, I could get his just relating here, here this experience, and, and as a pastor, hmm, I understand it better now. <laughs> his concern for his flock, getting them out, getting them to high ground. And then the high ground that they got to wasn't good enough, and getting them into vans. I think the church was where they brought everybody to for high ground, and then getting them all into vans and getting them out through deep water, and, and that whole experience as he relived it, and, and how was he taking it? I got a chance to talk to this pastor just about the raw truth. He saw what we're gonna get into later. He's a pastor. He, he saw where, at the end, that there could be rejoicing. But to just talk to him and get his heart about just the truth of what was on his heart. And what's the hardest thing for you, I asked him. He said, you know, for 50 years we've been collecting things. It's not a lot of wealth, but it's, it's, it's life. Everything has been destroyed in his house. We're starting from scratch. That was real emotion, real difficulty. And all the pastor part went away, all the, even, even the concern that he had for his flock and everything that was going on, just the raw, where am I at? How am I taking it? This is difficult. 
What are the difficult things for us right now in our life? Maybe there's things that we're taking well. Maybe there's things to, to rejoice in even in, in what's happening right now, but, but can we put the filters away? There are some memories from the past that are too hard to let come. Maybe that, that's gonna take time, but do you have a willingness to say, Lord, I want to see my life in truth. How am I taking it? Well, what we tell folks in the field, um, a very basic thing that they can do, that typically when you're in the midst of trials and hardship, you don't do, is to drink water. Because we don't, we don't typically think about that, and, and it's one of the most vital things that you can do because it, it helps to flush toxins out, it's, it keeps you hydrated, you need all, need all that. Here's a question for you this morning. Are you dehydrated? And not just water, like you can get from the drinking fountain over there, but there's another water that we need. And it's so simple to just drink water, but we don't do it. Turn with me um, to John chapter four in verse 13. The woman at the well. Jesus comes up to this woman from Samaria and asks her for a drink. And I'm gonna skip all that story. Hopefully you know what that story is. You can go back to this chapter later and read it. But in verse 13, Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is this water? Well, we find out actually a little bit more about what this water is. We move over to chapter seven in, in John. Starting in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the, spirit, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's living water. It's the Spirit of God in us. We've talked about this before. How does the Spirit of God work in our lives? Through hearing and faith. Galatians 3, 5. By hearing the word of God and trusting it to be true. How do we quench the spirit? By entertaining all of the things of the world and saying, no, I don't want that. I, I, wanna, I wanna bring all these other things into my life. So how do we drink water? What is the spiritual equivalent to what I've been, I tell people on the field? Make sure you've got water and you're drinking it. Are you reading God's word? Are the promises of God's word there that you're, 
that you're seeing and believing? Is the truth of God's word something that every day is in your life? That's drinking water and trusting it, believing it. And the Spirit of God comes into that. It becomes a wellspring of water that flows out of us into other people. But are we in the midst of everything that we have in this world, in the current circumstances that we're in, in, in the way that we're taking everything, and just this, this honest view of where we're at, the most important question we can ask in that is, am I dehydrated? <laughs> I have every resource in Christ to drink from the fountain. Holy Spirit working in my life. If you aren't, well, actually, before I say that, if you don't know Christ, if you've never put your faith in Christ, that is actually a more critical question for you. Do I know Christ? Because what it says in the Bible that, that apart from Christ, not only are we dehydrated, but we're dead. We're dead spiritually, dead in our sin because we've sinned against God. And that's all of these things that we're talking about that are difficult uh, conditions that we're in, that, that are brokenness in our life and how we're taking it. All of that is rooted in this fundamental issue that we have sinned against God. We have rejected God, the one who's the creator of life. And so in sin, we're dead in our sins. So the most critical thing is, do you know the one who was there with the woman at the well saying, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask and I would give you water. You'll never thirst again. Jesus died on the cross. He took our the penalty for our sin upon himself so that through faith in him, we could be forgiven of that sin. And it's not until we're forgiven of that sin that we can even begin to look for the hope that's at the end of this story this morning, the end of this sermon. So right here, if you don't know Christ, I encourage you, seek him. He'll be found. All you need to do is put your faith in Jesus. Trust him with your life. And you will be saved. You receive the spirit of God, which is that, that water. So now for us who do believe, if we find ourselves in a place that we are dehydrated, we are dry, can I encourage you to start opening the word of God? We're going through the book of Philippians. Philippians is a wonderful book to read when you're, when you're going through tough times. And read it over and over again. Read it in little bits. Read the whole thing. If you have the Bible app, uh, you can switch over to ESV. I think some of the other versions have it too. And you, and you read it to me. It can be in the car and, and, and it'll read it to you. But are you meditating on it? As you go through it, here's some basic things you can do to mark. If you see a promise, if you see a promise of God in there, and maybe it's in between the lines, maybe it's just explicitly right there, a promise of God. Underline that, that's a promise of God. I can, I can come back to that, I can meditate on that. That's drinking water. Is there, is there truths about God, truths about me? 
Underline those. These are truths. Maybe mark it in a different color if you like to do that kind of a thing. These are truths that I can trust. And, and as I meditate on those, it's like drinking water, spiritually drinking water. Is there a direction that God has given me? That's life to follow in obedience to the direction God has given me. Underline those things. Maybe those promises are connected with a condition that, that if you do this, this is the promise. Well, I need to know that so that I can do that. Underline those things. And as, as I meditate on those things, that's spiritual water. And so much more critical than what water in the field to someone who's going through a crisis and, and with all the adrenaline and everything else, is their, their body has got toxins and, and all this nastiness that needs to be flushed out. Boy, we have that spiritually. And boy, we need to flush that out. But we need to do that by drinking the water that God has provided. All right. Promises, truths, directions in Philippians. If you're not reading, start picking up the book of Philippians and you can just go through it over and over and over again. And then God will, well, God will start something, I pray, in your life that's a practice that then you'll start to branch out into other areas of scripture. But I know you're gonna find stuff in Philippians right now um, that will be low-hanging fruit. All right, the next question See, in the, in the field, there is a question that we would ask people at the very end. And, um, and it's not, not believers most of the time that you're talking to, and so it can be a strange question. But, but it's really interesting because the question um, sometimes reveals those who are believers. Um, but the question is this, and we'll usually say, boy, this, is, this is, might sound like a strange question, but I want to ask it to you. Um, do you see, considering all of this that has just happened to you, do you see any good coming out of it? And if I ask that question to you, it's a great question for us to ask ourselves. It, it has no less effect if you know why and what I'm asking it for. Elizabeth and I still ask each other some of these questions. What is the, what's the purpose of the question for a non-believer? Well, it's to instill hope. But the truth is, apart from Christ, we don't have hope. So following that, we would pray for them in the name of Jesus. That is the hope, whether they know it or not. But boy, when, when you're talking to a believer, this question takes a whole new form because we have Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that God is working good. We expect it, that God is working good. So the question for us this morning is, do we see it? What is God working for good? If I'm really being honest, so I'm allowing myself to see the reality of my circumstance. I'm allowing myself to truly see how I'm taking it, where I'm at. And now hopefully in the midst of that, I've, 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 Checked myself, and am I actually tapping into the resource that God has given me? But now do I see what God is doing? Not the circumstance, not me. What is God doing? 
And we know that in, in all things, so in everything, in, in even the most broken of circumstances, we can expect that God is going to be working for our good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say for everyone's good, but for those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been called to his purpose, and he is working all things for your good. So do we see it? Do we see it? Well, let's read back through Philippians, starting in verse 12, and we'll see what Paul saw around him. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. That's, that's actually in the Greek. It's the um, Praetorian guard. And, and by this time, um, I looked it up, and the best that I can decipher of Roman history and everything going on at this time, they, they had grown into what would have been 12,000 elite fighting soldiers of Rome. This was, this was like at the biggest part of, of the Praetorian Guard. And, and there, um, of the Roman Empire, their elite forces, uh, 12 groups of 1,000 men was the Praetorian Guard. And he says, do you see what has happened? And I'm sure that that, that, whole, that whole journey with the shipwreck and everything else that, that had amazing stories where Paul told them, just stay on the ship. Don't, don't leave the ship because God has a purpose for me to get to Rome and he's gonna save every person on the ship. But if you leave the ship, that's not gonna be the case. And so they, they trusted him. They actually cut the ropes off the, off the boat so that some of the soldiers wouldn't take them. And sure enough, just as God had said, they all made it safe in that shipwreck. Do you think that that story made its way into Rome with them? Do you think everything that happened along that way that was a testimony to the power of God that was on Paul made it there? And then now Paul they know he's in prison because of his faith in this God that just saved them. What does that do? That's God's purpose. We see it as terrible situation of a shipwreck and, and, and imprisonment. And Paul says, no, this is all for God. This is all for Christ. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. This is his purpose that he's working. He has this plan that was there from even before I went into prison in Caesarea. He, he had this plan that I was going to come here to Rome. And now the gospel, the truth, Jesus Christ is being known. They, they know throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and, and everywhere else. He doesn't say just that. And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. That's a reason to rejoice. Every reason we're going to find to rejoice is going to be found in the Lord and in what the Lord is doing. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Again, look what the Lord is accomplishing through this. Now there's boldness that wasn't there before to preach and to speak the testimony of the Lord and, and, and of Jesus Christ, that's a thing to rejoice in. And that's a rejoicing that doesn't need to, to sugarcoat anything. 
It actually becomes greater the more we understand the fullness of the brokenness, the fullness of the hardship, that then when we see the grace of God inserted into that, that the rejoicing is deep and great and incredible. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. There's more opposition. Boy, this can't be a good thing. But others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I'm not sure what exactly that's about, but I can imagine some ways that, that you've got Paul in prison, and, and if you wanted to discredit the gospel, um, you could, in the name of the gospel, cause havoc and stir up people against the gospel by your actions. That could be some of what's going on here. Paul doesn't go into great depth. I don't think if there's something like that going on around us, we need to go into great depth. But we can still find what God is doing. What's God doing? Even people who are trying to stir up something against God, stir up something against the cause of the gospel, they're still preaching Christ. And the word of God is going is, is to have an effect, and, and the truth is going to have an effect. So whether they like it or not, we know that our Lord is going to use it for good. And in that, in the Lord, I rejoice. So he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So the final thing is not a question, it's a statement. In that, I rejoice. What is your that? <laughs> as you're looking at your life, and as you see, are you seeing what God is doing? And, and are you focusing on that? Because we tend, I tend, to want to just kind of focus in on the hardship on the fact that there's people that are trying to disrupt the cause of the gospel and, and how terrible that is and, and how bad that is. And is that my focus? What we're gonna find is, is Paul's gonna encourage us in more places. No, that shouldn't be your focus. I want you to rejoice always in the Lord. I want you to be focused on what the Lord is doing and what there is to rejoice in. Not to the exclusion of the truth of the situation I'm in, but in the fullness of truth to see what the Lord is doing and to focus on that and to rejoice in that. When he says, yes, and I will rejoice, he's actually starting a new sentence. And we're gonna get into that um, next week, but in verse 19, we can see a, a, a bit of what he's talking about. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. See, he's confident, actually, and, and, and he continues in that later. He's confident that he's gonna get to see them again. And so when he says, I will rejoice, uh, don't mistake that. And, and don't mistake when we have the theme is, I will rejoice, that that means that regardless of what I see, regardless of what I know, I'm just gonna be um, 
adamant about, I'm going to be rejoicing, I'm going to be rejoicing, I'm going to be rejoicing. That's not what he means here. He says, I will rejoice because there's a future event that he is expecting to happen that is going to be glorying in Christ. And he knows that when that happens, he will rejoice. To go back to the beginning, this is not positive thinking exercises. This is the truth. This is fully embracing the truth, which includes God's grace towards us and the working of God's hand in our lives and God creating within us and within the world that we're in reason to rejoice in him. I'm not the cause of it. It's Jesus. And when I say I will rejoice, it's in hope and expectation that what God is working now is going to result in something that's going to glorify him and is going to be something that I don't have to fake rejoicing because from the depths of my heart, I am going to rejoice. I trust it because it's going to come from him. I pray that God would open our eyes to see the things that are worth rejoicing about. It changes everything. We don't have to hide things. We don't have to pretend. We can embrace the fullness of truth and have our eyes on Christ, our reason for rejoicing. Band, you can go ahead and come on up. Well, we have so much reason to rejoice. Sometimes we just don't see it. Can you this week take some time to go through these questions? Give yourself space. Honestly, for me to answer that first one of what are my circumstances requires me to get away. I have to, I have to create space um, and time and quiet in my mind and to ask God, what, what is the truth about my situation? What is the truth about me in this situation? And then to just be honest with myself. How am I taking it? What are the difficulties? But then to let the Spirit of God speak into that. I pray you get a chance to do that this week. If you have somebody that you can sit down and have a conversation with to do that, that's awesome. There's something special about when we speak it out loud. It just, it, it takes what's a mumble of thoughts and brings it together into truth when we're willing to just say, okay, God, what is the truth about my life? But once we've done that and we see the truth of what God is doing in my life, we see the truth of the purpose of what he has, even in the difficulty, even in the struggle, even in the things that, that are wrapped up in my sin, wrapped up in other people's sin, wrapped up in, in all sorts of struggle. But then when I change my focus to look at him and see, oh, he's doing something here. The depth of rejoicing, it's not fake. It's not putting on a happy face. It's real, real, real rejoicing in Christ. Let's worship God right now and rejoice in him. Father, boy, what we need is to be able to see the reason to rejoice. 
God, we, we don't need to fake it. We don't need to pretend that, that we've got a happy face when we don't. But God, we just need our eyes open to see what you're doing around us and in us. But God, I pray that you would do that for this church, for this body. Pray that you do that in my life. That I would have eyes to see your glory that's among us and your purpose being worked out. That every time the enemy tries to bring something in to, to, to destroy and, and, and to hurt God, that, that we'd be able to see how you, time and again, are turning that for our good to accomplish your purpose. And that when we see that, God, we want to see that because we know that when we do, taking in the fullness of the situation we're in, we see your goodness and grace in our life. God, it causes rejoicing. And we want to rejoice in you, so open our eyes this week. We love you, Jesus, and we praise your name. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.